The title of today's message is To the Fullest. It was going to come up, I thought. (laughs) There we go. To the Fullest. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've realized that we seem to live in a time where we are being bombarded constantly with the right way to live, right? Everybody's telling you that, oh man, you just need to live your best life now. You know, we, we hear all these things like, man, you just need to do you. Don't worry, you just go out and live your truth. <sighs> like nothing is more oh, gross to me than hearing these kinds of things that are well-meaning, but have so much lie to them. You see, if we're not careful in life, we can really get sucked into a lot of those things. We can kind of get sucked into the, oh man, I just, I've got to be the best me I can be. I've got to go do me. I've got to live out my truth. I've got to go and make as much money as I can in this moment because I'm going to get so caught up in the rat race and do all the different things. And man, you know, my neighbor has those cool toys, so I better go get those cool toys. Even if I have to go into debt really, really far, it doesn't matter as long as I look pretty on the outside. Right? Because we sit there and we, we kind of buy into this mentality that says, in order to live life to the fullest, then I must look the part. And our lives need to be successful according to the word of God, not successful according to what the world's standards of success are. Mother Teresa has a quote that says, God did not call us to be successful, just to be faithful. You know, I mean, and I read that this week and I thought, sorry, (laughs) shoot. Because it's so easy sometimes to get caught up in this mentality that in order to be successful, it must look like this. When in reality, God says, all I really want from you is just to be faithful. I just need you to be faithful to what I have asked you to do. There's a verse in John 10.10, and it's actually our, our church's foundational verse. And this is out of the Amplified Version. It says this, it says, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full, Till it overflows. You see, the devil is really pretty sneaky. He takes something that sounds biblical and he twists it. He takes like verbiage from this verse and then he manipulates it. Say, well, I mean, Jesus really wants you to have all the toys as long as you don't do anything else for him. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying if you have all the toys, there's nothing wrong with that. We have, it's, it's all about a condition of the heart. But sometimes we can get so caught up with all the stuff that we forget to be focused on Jesus. And, and the enemy is really good about twisting Bible. I mean, he did it to Jesus. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and he was being tempted by the devil, the devil twisted scripture to try to get Jesus to compromise. And Jesus responded with, nope. It is written. Here's actually what the Bible says. And he stood upon the word of God to help him in those moments so that he did not 
give in to the temptation. You see, the devil tries to tell us that if, if you have all these things, if you make all this success, if you do all the stuff, if people see you in this light, then you will be living life to the fullest. When in reality, it's just not full at all. I mean, it's full of something, but it's not full at all, right? If I am more concerned about being happy than being submitted to Christ, then I will never be either. I'm going to say that again. If I am more concerned about being happy in life than I am concerned about being submitted to Christ, I won't ever be either. In order for us to actually live life to the fullest, we have to be submitted to his fullness. If we want to live life in the fullness, to its fullest, we have to be submitted to his fullness. We have to allow his words not just to be intellectually stimulating. We're like, man, that's a good verse. Boy, I really like that. Man, yeah, that really means something. But we actually have to let those things become life-changing in the way that our lives are lived out every single day. See, the early apostles understood this. Now, Jesus went up to heaven after his resurrection, and he promised to send the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, this past Thursday was what they would call Ascension Day in church history. It's the number of days after Passover, and that's the day that Jesus went back up into heaven. And he told his followers to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. They did. And when the Holy Spirit came, they received the power that Jesus had promised. Now, we have to understand that this was not political power. This was not influential power in the sense that we might know it. This was a change from the inside out that gave them the power of God living inside of them. I mean, think about, I mean, these, these disciples, boy, they had a roller coaster of a ride, right? They follow Jesus for three and a half years and they're expecting things to look a certain way. Jesus dies on the cross, devastated. He's dead for three days and they're going, was it real? Was it not? I thought he was going to do this. I thought he was going to do this. I thought it was going to be this. Then Jesus rises again. And I can imagine because, you know, they're astonished, they're excited. They're also a little bit scared, a little bit freaked out because this is something kind of new and different. And then they're also, I imagine, going, okay, well, now I bet that means that it's going to look like this. And then all, all these days later, about 40 days later, Jesus goes, guys, I'm going up to heaven. I'm waiting for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Wait, what? What do you mean? You've already beaten death, Jesus. How come you got to go somewhere else? I'm sure that their thought process of the way things were going to go was a lot like this. And he says, you go and you wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And he says, and then when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And that word power there, and that's in Acts 1.8. We don't have that up on the screen. But he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that word for power that is mentioned there is actually the same word that we get the word dynamite from. It's something that is on the inside that blows up from the inside out. 
Now, I'm not saying your heart's going to explode, all right? That's not it. I'm saying, though, that there's, that there's this reality of that when we allow the Holy Spirit to have control and we say, yes, I want to receive you, it creates something inside of us that goes from the inside out and it actually changes the way that we live our lives. The power that Jesus promised his disciples, it was a divinely given power that changed them. And then it changed everyone who they came in contact with. And the reason why it did this is because they submitted themselves to the fullness of what Jesus had for them to receive. I'm going to read a passage from the book of Acts here in just a minute. But before I do, I want to tell you what happened leading up to the passage that we're going to read. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were on their way to the temple to go to temple. They were, they were going to church, right? And as they're on their way, they saw a man who was asking for money. He stops them and he says, I need something. I need money. And Peter and John are sitting there and they go, we don't have any money to give you. But what we do have, we're going to give you. And he reaches down. This man had been a cripple for over 40 years. And he reaches down and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's a little bit better than money, if you ask me. And it says, the man rose up and he went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God, right? The old kids church song. But this was the response. And then a huge crowd is coming around to see what goes on because they notice this man. This man had been there for anybody under the age of 40. This man had been there all of their lives, all the time. Begging. Needing money. You know what messes with my theology a little bit is that when I think of that story, and I think of that when it says that he's been there for over 40 years, Jesus walked by that man how many times and didn't heal him? And that messes with me. I'm like, but Jesus, why? Because everything that Jesus did, he always did for the ultimate glory of God the Father. And so for the Holy Spirit to be able to come and be indwelled within Peter and John, and then for them to be able to perform that miracle through the power of the Holy Spirit, did more in that moment than it ever would have had it been Jesus. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in each of us. That's the same Holy Spirit that Peter and John had. The same one. So anyway, after all this stuff happens, then people were excited and they saw the miracle. Peter preaches the gospel message and that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 4. So we're going to start there. And it says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, 
By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed and probably irritated, all right? And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I love that last line. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. If the world looked at you and questioned some of the things that were going on because of the way you were acting, because of the things that were being done, would they recognize you as someone who's been with Jesus? God asked me that question earlier this week, and I just sat there and I thought, oh, I hope so. (laughs) But then I began to realize that there are areas of my life that probably I would not be recognized as someone who's been with Jesus in those areas. I would definitely be recognized as ordinary, but not as somebody who had been with Jesus in some of those areas. Starting in verse, picking up then in in verse 14, it says, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling everything that we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God. For the miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. That, that to me is amazing. So the people who are, I mean like, so Israel was part of a Jew, or it was a, basically for lack of a better term, like a Jewish community, a Jewish colony that was inside the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire allowed them to basically kind of keep doing things their way because it wasn't worth starting the, the fight over and everything else. And they could get a lot of taxes out of them, so it was fine. And so in these, in these moments, they are handling this situation in the way that is supposed to be handled in their culture. However, if a riot starts, then Caesar's going to come down in his army and this is going to squash a lot of riots. So they're going, well, how then do we handle this? Because they, they had all the political power, all the religious power. They had all these things and they said, we have to watch out for these men. 
So you know what we're going to do? We're going to tell them, you better not. And Peter and John's response was, doesn't matter. I'm going to do what God says to do, not what you've said to do. They did not let the fear of going back to jail keep them from doing what God was calling them to do. They did not let the fear of political pressure, of religious pressure, of societal pressure keep them from doing what God had called them to do. And why? Because they were living in his fullness because they said we had received the Holy Spirit and we're walking in that. Skips down to verse 29 and it says this, it says, so this is after the Peter and John have been back and they were sent back to, and it says, and now, O Lord, this is them praying. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So they're threatened with going to prison. They're threatened with being fined. They're threatened with being beaten. They're threatened with all these things. And what do they do? They go back and they pray for more boldness so they can continue doing that even more. Not the response I probably would have had. But that's the response I want to have. The miracle happened. And then the enemy tried to shut them up. But they said, it doesn't matter what the enemy tries to do. We're going to keep living life in his fullness so that I can live life to the fullest. You see, Peter and John and all those disciples, they had experienced something that went from being intellectual knowledge to something alive inside of them so that they could walk it out. There's a quote from a lady named Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if, if you're not familiar with her, look her up. And this woman's story is phenomenal. But the quote says, it's not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. It's not my ability, but it's my response to God's ability that counts. You see, so often we can get so caught up in thinking, man, I, I can't do this. I'm not good enough to do this. I, don't, I am unable to do these things. I do not have the ability to do this. And you know what? In some cases, you might be right. But it's not about your ability. It is about your response to his ability inside of you. It's not about my ability of being able to do it, but what is my response about his ability in living inside of me? And what if we allowed that to actually change everything in us? How would that affect our families, our jobs, the people at the gas station, the people at the grocery store? Whatever it is that we do every single day, what if we changed our attitude to that of saying, it's not about my ability, but it's about my response to his ability. And I just want to respond to him in the way that Peter and John did and just say, I just want to live in your fullness. What if? How much different would things be? You 
See, Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3. And this is one of the apostolic prayers. And then those are the prayers that, that the apostles prayed over the churches that they were overseeing. And, and I pray many of these same prayers over our church. But starting in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, it says this. It says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, he prays for the church to be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, what a thought. I mean, seriously, what a thought. What if that became our prayer for one another within the body of Christ? I pray that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Here at Life Church, these four words, love, live, grow, and go, are kind of the, the, the pillars about what we are built upon. We want to love people the way that Jesus loves them so they can live their life according to the life he has given them to live so they can grow in their relationship with him and then go wherever he sends them. That is who we are. Love, live, grow, and go. We might see those words and think, man, that, 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 that sounds nice, Chris. Way to go. Yeah, awesome. That sounds great. But I want to ask you to ask yourself and ask God to show you how you can begin to living out those things in your life. How can you begin to live out those things? By living in his fullness. So God, what are these areas of my life that I need to change so that I can start loving people the way you love them? So that I can teach them how to live the life that you called them to live. So that I can begin to live the life also. So that I can continue to grow in my relationship with you and then go wherever it is that you send me. Some of us can probably argue and say, well, I, I don't have the ability to do those things, Chris. You, you just don't understand. Maybe, but remember, it's not your ability. It's your response to his ability in you. It's not your ability. It's your response to his ability. What made those disciples able to do the incredible miracles and all the miraculous work that they did? It wasn't because they were some super special people. It wasn't because they were highly educated. I mean, the Bible even told us there, it says, you know, the, the, the religious leaders were amazed because they're like, man, these are just ordinary men. But they were recognized as men who had been with Jesus. You wanna, we, if we want to learn how to live that kind of life, then we just need to spend more time with Jesus. That's really what it boils down to. And when you say, Holy Spirit, show me those areas of my life where I can just walk in your fullness. Rather than trying to live life with my idea of what it looks like to the fullest. We have to let it come from being something that is head knowledge to being a practical lifestyle that is being able to be walked out. 
I want to see the power of Jesus change lives. But we must be willing to allow him to work in and through us in order to do so. I mean, think about those. What if Peter and John had had all the experience with Jesus as they had? The Holy Spirit came on them like it did in Acts chapter 2. And what if Peter's response was, whew, that was a great experience. And left it at that. And that's what some of us have done. We said, man, that was a great experience. That was a great worship service. That was a great conference. That was a great camp. That was a great whatever it may have been. Whoo, that was neat. And whoo, thanks God, that was great. I needed it. But what are we doing with it? What are we doing to walk it out so that we can live in his fullness so that we can live life to its fullest? As you go this week, And as you live your life in every aspect that we're going through, school, work, whatever it might be, family, all the other stuff, we must be willing to allow him to work in and through us. I want us to ask him to be more released, to be released into us more into our lives so that we can walk in his fullness. The last two verses of chapter three of Ephesians, this is finishing out that prayer. And he says, now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. If we want to step into that, then we have to be submitted to his fullness. And that's my challenge to us this week. It's not only going to change you, but it's going to change all of those around you as well. Amen? Does that make sense this morning? Guys, let's stand. Uh, We're going to pray and be dismissed. Uh, My dad's going to close out the service for us. And and then uh, we have snacks. And so stick around and and, um, fellowship for a little while. And then, uh, yeah, otherwise we will see you all next time. Maybe you can hear me. <laughs> it is it? Okay. Sorry, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> you can pray for me. <laughs> so as we close, I just want to kind of give this challenge along with what Chris said. Years ago, John Kennedy was president. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Well, let's ask today, not what you can do for me, Lord, but what can I do for you. We have so freely received, so freely. Let's just ask as we close, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? Father, thank you for this time together. Touch our hearts, change us, fill us, fill us with more of you and let it flow out of us, exploding into those around us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, there'll be people down here. Please come on. Come on down and let people pray.